Hey everyone, before we get started, I wanted to talk about two things that are happening on the podcast. The first one is media.net. They're a new partnership with the podcast. They're an ad network and they deliver relevant ads based on your content to your audience. Great company. I'm enjoying the service and the team over there. They've been great. Media.net forward slash Vernon. I'm going to talk about them at the end of the show. And of course, Podbean.com forward slash VR. That's going to get you a 30-day free trial account on me to try out podcasting. See if you like it. See if it's what you want to do. And I'm going to talk about both of those at the end of the show. Hey, everyone. This is Vernon Ross, and welcome to the Social Strategy Podcast, bringing you the best in business, mindset, and wealth. But every four years around the world, we celebrate Olympians. We celebrate athletes, their achievements, and everybody gathers around wherever they are to watch whatever their favorite sport is. Uh, this this next four years kicks off Wednesday. It is the Winter Olympics. Um, I think everybody loves the Summer Olympics, but I, I actually like both. I don't really have a favorite. Of course, I love my track and field, and I'm glued to the set when track and field is happening. But, you know, I've also found myself glued to the set for you know, uh, some other things that you may be like wondering, like, what is this sport? Curling had some interest for a minute. I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. Kind of silly, but interesting. Snowboarding. Everybody loves Sean White. I, you know, I kind of watched that kid grow up in the in the uh, the skateboarding era and, and now with snowboarding and all the stuff and all of the stuff that happens in the Winter Olympics. But today I've actually got on the podcast an Olympian. And it's not the first time I've had an Olympian on the podcast. Uh, surprisingly enough, a, a good friend of mine out of Canada, she actually competed in the Olympics a long time ago. I think she was a bronze medal winner. But I have the, I, what I think is the rare occasion to have a three-time Olympic um, medalist on the show. She's got two silvers and one gold. But on top of that, she was the first American woman to medal in both the winter and the summer games in two different disciplines. One is in track and field, and the other is in bobsled. And what makes this so unique to me, and one thing that stood out to me is that I'm like, wait a minute, bobsled? She's African-American. What are we doing in a bobsled? And to make it even more impressive, I think Lauren only had maybe three months to train for bobsled and then medal. So with that amount of incredible Olympic achievement, I'm like, what else is there? Well, she's got her own financial services business. She's an MBA and an all-around amazing woman that I got a chance to meet at the Financial Bloggers Conference. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, and thank you for saying all those wonderful things. I'm flattered now. I can go about <laughs> the rest of my day feeling good. <laughs> uh, you know, try to start it off good. So so tell me, the, the and this was not like this was long ago, guys, so I'm not talking about somebody from the 80s. I am talking about like the 2012 and 2014 Olympics, so stuff that you remember. And I actually remember you winning that bobsled medal. I'm like, oh, my God, that what? A black person in bobsled? <laughs> But I mean, so what is that like? Tell tell us a little bit about how you came to to do bobsled. And then I want to step back and talk a little bit about track and field because you were a very impressive college athlete, like with crazy numbers. And I think it was a four by 100. Yeah, 100, four by one. I dabbled in the 200 a little bit. It was never really my favorite thing to do. Mostly 100 meters or the relay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, bobsled. I basically bumped into a girl in the airport and everybody <laughs> was like, what? <laughs> but that's what happened. I was uh, headed to my last race. It was my final season of track and field 2013. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to figure out what life after sport was going to look like for me. And I always tell people reading is fundamental. And really what happened was I'd read an article about a young lady who had tried to bobsled uh, after the 2012 Olympic Games and was out there, you know, giving it a try. It was big news, et cetera. Look, you know, look at her track and field to bobsled. And she was in the airport headed to the same race as me. And so I said, I read an article about you trying bobsled. Like, how did you even come to find bobsled? Like, where do you even figure that out? And she said, Lauren, you are so powerful. Uh, they will teach you everything else you need to know. You need to be a power athlete. Show up. You can run fast. Um, you should try it. And I was like, hmm. 
<laughs> that sounds interesting. Okay. <laughs> right. And so she says, and it's the Olympic year. So what if you made the Olympic team? And I was like, what? I'm not trying to make the Olympic team. I just thought it'd be something cool to give a try. Uh, maybe recreationally since I'm getting ready to retire. Basically, I showed up. It was July and the upcoming Olympic Games would have been that, you know, that coming February, like we're in February now. Mm-hmm. And so I had a, six months to figure out how to do the bobsled. It was a super <laughs> steep learning curve. It was very scary, uh, but I survived and I earned a medal. Wow. I mean, what's training for something like that like? Well, for me, like I said, it was kind of an accelerated process. Luckily, you know, I was in shape already from from track and field season, um, but it is very sprint oriented. It's just a very short sprint. So I'm already mm-hmm. a short sprinter in the sense that I'm a hundred meter runner. This is, you know, 20 meters. But it's also, like I said, about being a powerful athlete. So you really need to be able to do those heavy Olympic lifts. Uh, you're a little bit more, you know, short, stocky, like powerful. Um, there are some people with some longer legs for those track and field fans that are very fast. Uh, but you look at them and you know that they're not a power athlete. Right. Uh, the difference is somebody like me that's going to be able to turn over, that's going to be, you know, have to be strong. So, for instance, I'll give you, I, I squatted 365 pounds uh, when I weighed 135 pounds. Oh, my gosh. That's a power athlete. <laughs> I'll say. That is one big component is being powerful in addition to being fast. Um, but also just being able to pay attention, to learn from others, and not piss anybody off, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> it's a very intense environment. Sorry. No, it's good. No, it's good. And you're sure no, you look like you're like five three. I am. I'm five foot three and a quarter. I, I always tell people don't forget the quarter. <laughs> that little bit matters. <laughs> right. So you know when I when I talk to people about um, sport in general and and achievements in sports, I think that of course business has a lot to do with the amount of discipline that it takes to become a professional athlete. And I think the Olympics is a little different because you're a professional athlete, but uh, a lot of times you're not a a paid professional athlete. So when you start talking about managing money and training and stuff like that, what what does that look like? Because I know a lot of people are are always interested in, well, you know, what happens with the athletes after the Olympics? What do they do and and, you know, how do they continue to train, stuff like that? I think that's a really good question. There was actually just a special on HBO about Olympic athletes being broke. And it's a little different than that, you know, 30 for 30 on ESPN, where they talk about millionaires that spend all their money. Um, This was about, you know, people spending their money, maxing out credit cards to be able to fund their dream. And I'm fortunate in the sense that I got to experience both sides of what Olympic sports looks like. And I have a real appreciation for that group of people that have to fund their own dream. And Mm -hmm. um, they were talking about having seventy or eighty thousand dollars in credit card debt uh, because they wanted to train full time, but they didn't have any sponsors and it wasn't a big sport, etc. And that's kind of how bobsled is. There's more um, attention coming to it nowadays because they've they've done a kind of a big push and they've got the right people around them branding wise to kind of grow that sport on its own. But it's a small sport in general, so it's never going to be fully funded by the USOC in such a way that. Um, everybody's going to be able to have a stipend and, you know, mm-hmm. really be able to train full time without any other income. Oh, Whereas, really? Yeah, it's it's tough. And there's many sports uh, amongst um, Olympic sports that are like that. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions. Some people think that, you know, they see Michael Phelps and Lindsey Vaughn on TV and they're like, oh, all Olympians are rich. Or they hear <laughs> um, Olympics is an amateur sport and you can't make money and they think all Olympians are broke. And the truth of it is that it runs the gamut between the different sports. So the way it works is the USOC, we're not funded by the government um, and we're the only country in the world that doesn't get any government funding. So the USOC, the United States Olympic Committee, has to go out and fundraise uh, and get sponsors in order to have the funding to be able to support us. Uh, and then you go down to the next level and each NG B is what they call it. But that's basically like every governing body. Uh, so USA track and field, USA gymnastics, USA swimming, you know, and a lot on and on and on. Mm-hmm. They go out and they raise their own money. So that entity raises money for that specific sport. And then USOC is raising money for the Olympic sports overall. So obviously the USOC raises more money and that money kind of trickles down in various ways to the national governing bodies and to the athletes. And then the the USA track and field or the NGB, whatever it belongs to also raises money and distributes money to athletes in a a way that they see fit. 
Oh, wow. That is but interesting. It, it is interesting. And you think, oh, big sponsors. Like, why aren't the athletes getting money? I don't understand, Lauren. You just said that, that you guys don't, <laughs> don't, don't make very much or don't get very much. There's a lot of money that needs to be spread around for a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And so as a top-tier athlete in track and field, your stipend might be uh, maybe $2,000 for the month. I don't oh, know wow. very many people that think $24,000 for a year is, is living living good. No, and I'm it is not. you're an Olympian, top tier. Wow. Yeah, and that doesn't include meals and housing. <laughs> exactly. And then bottom of the totem pole kind of athlete, a smaller sport, that stipend is $0 a month. And like you said, you're not any different in the fact that you're training full time. It's just they don't have any money to be able to support you. So you may be working full time a job. You may be, you know, like I said, racking up credit card debt because it's important for you to train uh, full time. So, yeah, it really runs the game. I, mean, I could talk about this all day and night, but I know we got other topics to move on to. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's interesting, though, because I think people have a misconception that, you know, once you make the Olympics, once you're an Olympic athlete, you've made it. You know, especially if you if you get a gold medal and it's just not the case. And I, I think that especially in um, at least at, at least this is the way it looks from the outside looking in when African-American athletes, even track and field, if you know, you're not the number one person in track and field or you know, at least, you know, a, a couple of the, the top people that you're not getting the, the huge sponsors. Nike's not sponsoring three or four athletes. They're sponsoring maybe two. Uh, and, and along with the other companies, maybe a couple. But outside of that, it is still you still got to hustle to in order to make income. Very much so. And uh, the reduction clauses in those contracts, you know, like you said we don't get paid like the NFL does. We're not W-2 employees that are paid by our team. Uh, we are 1099 uh, independent contractors that get some funding for various things, like you said, but definitely not a salary, not meant to carry us through the year. So we depend on those sponsors and those big shoe companies are the main sponsors that will make you consider yourself a pro in track and field. Mm-hmm. But like I said, they're investing in you. So if you don't perform, uh, you can bet your butt. There is reduction clauses. There are, you know, um, you have to give money back. They will cancel you. Oh my God. There's all sorts of different things in the contract. <laughs> wow. That is, that yeah. is interesting. That is really interesting. So as an Olympic athlete, when you're coming to the end of your track and field career and you ended up jumping into bobsledding, what were your thoughts once that came once that came to an end? Where were you as far as like your your planning and like, OK, how do I transition out of this and into the, the next thing that I want to do? Well, for me, it's, it's kind of an interesting story. And I, I, I like to try to tie it all together. So I'll go back a little bit. So I went to the University of Miami and I was a finance major. I picked finance at 17 years old because I like math and money. And they're like, oh, finance, this this goes together, right? All right. <laughs> that was all the more educated a decision I could make at 17. And I, I got through my schooling and I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to be or what I'm going to do. Luckily, I had the distraction of uh, becoming a professional athlete that, you know, kind of put that on hold. And so I knew I was interested in something money oriented and being able to help people, um, but I didn't know what personal finance was. I was 20 years old. Uh, I was making six figures because in track and field, I was, you know, in 2004, I was the fastest American for a good little while. I ended up, like I said, being a silver medalist in the hundred meters. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I got to see that top of the totem pole kind of income. Um, but I hired a financial advisor and I didn't know really what a financial advisor was supposed to do for me. I was 20. I, I managed my little thousand dollar a month stipend <laughs> for college on my own and knew not to get into debt and, you know, knew not to spend more than I made. And that, it was as simple as that. And so I ended up with a guy who was kind of like sales and commission based where, um, you know, I got some life insurance. I got a SEP IRA. I got a brokerage account. And that was it. And at 20, coming from a family that didn't have a whole bunch of financial literacy, um, I was looking for, you know, basic budgeting skills. How much house can I afford to buy? You know, can I even afford to buy a house? Should I be still living with my college roommate? Um, You know, I knew I was making way more money than I had seen, but I still wasn't sure, like, what that meant. Right. And long story short, he didn't provide the services that I was looking for. And I was really looking for financial education, financial literacy. You know, nothing wrong with a SEP IRA or, you know, investing your money, those sorts of things. Uh, But I didn't get anything above and beyond that. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what what happens to a lot of athletes is someone, some 
investment advisor comes and, you know, they see big dollar signs and they want to get the commission for, you know, handling your assets, but they don't do any groundwork to lay, lay a good foundation so that you can continue to grow those assets. They give you a little pocket of money. They keep some money that they can earn a commission on. And then you go blow your money and come to them and say, Hey, give me more money. And they're like, wait, what are you doing? Where, where's the money I gave you? I gave you more than enough. It's because you didn't teach your client anything. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, so that wasn't necessarily my story. Luckily I wasn't very reckless, yeah. but I still didn't have a lot of understanding. Um, and at one point we did lose some money in the market, like pre 2008. And he didn't really describe to me why, you know, it always, I felt like I was being like treated as a child, even though I was the client. And so he's just like, yeah, I just wanted to let you know, we lost some money today. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Like to call my clients, let them know. Um, and yeah, I had to look at my statement to find out like how much money exactly I lost and what that meant. And, oh, wow. you know, started using Google to figure out like what's going on and what, what, what am I even invested in? Because I kind of just been trusting this guy. I'm running. I'm traveling the world full time. I'm 20. I don't really care that much, to be honest. You know, you just you, like you said, I want to put some away and I hope this guy's putting it away to make it grow. And that was kind of the extent of my my understanding. So, of course, like I said, somebody tells you you lose money, you make an expensive enough mistake, then learning becomes a priority. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. So I started to learn everything I could. Um, I did hire another gentleman that was working with professional athletes, and I thought that that was going to go better for me. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. It's oh, a no. Long story. Yeah. Uh, this guy was like negligent, just straight up you know, he transferred the accounts to his name, probably collected his commission, didn't trade anything, didn't do anything with the accounts I had. Um, in 2012, I actually owned Bear Stearns as a line item in my um, portfolio. So <laughs> anybody who knows anything about investments knows Bear Stearns didn't exist in 2012. Right. Yeah, but that, oh my God. that was actually still showing as something that, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's just negligent. And the difference in him, what, 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 I, what I described that I wasn't getting from the first guy, he said he was going to do. And what he did differently that the first guy didn't do was like a bill pay service, which is very popular amongst the um, world of professional athletes. They provide these bill pay services so you don't have to worry about anything. And I think it's the worst thing possible. Uh, for people to really get so hands off that they can't on a monthly basis pay their, pay their bills mm-hmm. um, because out of sight, out of mind. And then that's when your spending really, you know, gets out of control because you don't feel any of it. You don't see any of it. You don't see your light bill, your, your pool man bill or whatever. <laughs> Um, oh I know gosh. you asked me a question, so I'm going I'm to sum the story no, up. No, no, no. It's, it's going to just keep telling us. So fired him. Uh, he actually ended up being tied up in a casino scandal as well. They got a bunch of NFL players. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Broke, if you will. Yeah. So they invested, you know, millions of dollars because they had millions of dollars in this casino, and the casino never opened. Um and so they lost all that money. Luckily for me, I wasn't rich enough to, to be part wow. of that investment. So, um, see, I would so say insert I, presidential joke here, but I I am going to refrain. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, I'm I'm lucky. Like you said, I had two really bad experiences, but I still didn't end up quote unquote broke. Um, I could have a lot more money in the bank than I I would have had if I hadn't had these. But you know, who couldn't? Everybody's made some sort of financial decisions um, mm-hmm. that they regret. Or some type of mistake or, you know, one dollar you could have spent better. You might have went out and bought a four dollar coffee this morning knowing good and well you didn't need it. You know, it still counts as a mistake. Some are bigger than others. And that's kind of the thing that like I had to learn was like, you know, okay, this was not catastrophic, but it, it hurt. And so how can I be better? And I found out the answer to that was to educate myself. And so literally a Google search led me to the certified financial planning coursework. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is what I was talking about. Like all aspects of your finances. Everybody else keeps talking about like, oh, you need to take a series seven. Oh, you need to get a series seven. And I kept like, I, I got the series seven book for a while and I looked through it and I was like, this is all investments. Like, I don't, this is not what I need help with. And this is not what I want to help people with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I saw the CFP coursework and I was like, okay, I'm sold. Like this is gonna, you know, teach me more and I'm gonna be better. And during the time period I was moving from Miami to Texas and my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, his mentor said, you need to get a NAPFA advisor. And I was like, what's a NAPFA advisor? Uh, so I Googled that and found out what it was. And was like, oh, all these people have certified financial planning certifications as well. Like, that's what I'm studying for. So found the local NAPA advisor uh, in the area of Texas that I was moving to, walked in their office with my resume and was like, hi, I want to work here. And they were like, 
what? Like, who are you and why are you standing in our offices right now? And I said, right. And I said, well, I've been studying for this certified financial planning thingy and you guys are certified financial planners. So I want to work here. I need to learn more about this. And they're like, but we're not hiring. And I'm like, yeah, but I want to work here. And then I said, well, I'm Olympian. I don't have a lot of time. So I can just give you a few hours. I don't need to be paid, but I really, really, really want to work here. And so, of course, that got their attention. Uh, Right. (laughs) And so long story short, I got an internship there and it was mind blowing the difference between the service that they were providing to their clients and the service I had received from the two gentlemen I worked with. And that's kind of what sold me on opening a financial planning company. Wow. And so in the timeline of this, you asked me, you said, (laughs) the original question was, how did I think about leaving sport and what I was going to do next? And that was all the backstory. It was like finance was built into my DNA, but also the experiences that I had that led me to what I was going to be passionate about doing next. Um, And so I was still competing, actually, when I started the CFP coursework, when I started Mm -hmm. this internship. Um, you know, working for another company, I was, you know, while I was doing bobsled and, and, you know, now it's like, I'm two years into having my own company. So it was just seeing a gap and seeing that there was a different way that people needed to be serviced and particular young professionals, you know, investing is an important part of us growing our money and uh, obtaining wealth, but you also need to know the basics. And so I'm dedicated to providing the basics to young professionals and professional athletes uh, because I'm passionate about that. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I can imagine after seeing people getting taken advantage of and you came out of it not unscathed, but uh, not fully broken from it. I can see why that would be a motivation for you to be able to do that. Um, Now, question. Have you always been in a track and field? So like when you were a little kid, were you running track as a little kid or did you start track and field in maybe high school? I started running track when I was nine. Um, and I didn't actually like it, <laughs> to tell you the truth. It was just one of the things that I was doing. I was naturally fast. So I was like, okay, this is fun. But the love of competing is kind of like what grew inside of me and, you know, kind of, I guess, made my track and field passion start to grow. So it's like, oh, I can beat all the girls my age. Oh, I can beat girls older than me. Oh, wait, I can beat boys older than me. Okay, this is fun. <laughs> nice. And so then... I got to um, high school and I really loved playing basketball. That was the thing I I wanted to do long term, you know, forever if I could. And when I was sitting the bench on senior night and my best friend got hurt and that's the only reason I got to go in, I realized I probably didn't have a career in basketball ever (laughs) going to (laughs) materialize. Luckily, during this process, I had already started to get letters in the mail for track and field. And I was like, oh, you guys want to pay me to go to school? This would be awesome. I'd love to go to school for free um, because I did. As like I said, I, have, I came from a family of five sisters, two brothers. Yeah, so there was not a lot of money to be had or spread around. There were no college funds. So it was either going to be student loans or scholarships, one or the other. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Now, are you the only uh, only one of your siblings who uh, went to school on, on athletic scholarship or does that pretty much run the family? Uh, my youngest sister also went to school um, on a track scholarship, but everybody else kind of took their own path. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes in, uh, when you, you have an, an athlete, everybody in the family has been an athlete, including the parents and stuff like that. So you never know because it's it's just usually like, a, like you said, a kind of a DNA thing. Yeah, we're a pretty diverse group, if I do say so myself, from military um, to truck driving to sheriff. Uh, yeah, we're all over the place. Well, that's, that's, that's cool. A big family and, uh, Hey, they've got an Olympian in the family. So that's, that's nothing Mm -hmm. to sneeze at. So do you like bring the medals with you on holidays and stuff like that? (laughs) (laughs) I I leave the medals at home. One of the best parts about my family is that they never treated me different. Um, you know, they still picked on me when they, when they were, we were home alone, you know, hanging out for the holidays. Uh, you know, they still call me regular. They didn't, you know, they didn't call me begging for any money or anything like that. Uh, I know one of the big things that uh, the African-American community bumps into and athletes, professional athletes in particular, mm-hmm. is when they feel like someone's made it. It's like, oh, we've all made it. Right. Um, and so, yeah, they didn't do that. They supported me. They they loved me. They cared for me. And I, yeah, I think I'm better for having the kind of family that I did. You know, I was I was talking to my um, 
was talking to my daughter. She She's in the track and field. She's doing triple jump, and she's probably going to do high jump and stuff like that. But I, I was talking to her about training, and we were talking about track. And I'm like, you know, it is the most individualized team sport you can probably play because really you're you're on a track team, but your individual performance is what you really have to work on, and your performance is what helps the team. So you have to be on the top of your game. It's not like, you know, it's basketball and somebody else can score. You can pass the ball, be in good condition, and help the team win. You help the team win it by being the best individual athlete that you possibly can. With that, something I think is interesting, how much um, of a team dynamic have you found in your business as compared to being on a track team? I think there's been a lot of like life skills that I've learned from sports that have transferred over to my business. And one of them is trying to like kind of recreate a team. And so like you said, track and field is very individual. And so because I did have to do that individual thing where it was kind of all about me, um, either you put in the work or you didn't with track and field. But in bobsled, it was the complete opposite where I was very dependent on others. Um, you know, I had a bobsled driver and I, she had to know how to drive because I didn't know how to drive. Uh, a sled is roughly 400 pounds. So we're not lifting that sled by ourselves. It takes oh, wow. four, four young ladies to lift that sled. And that's why I speak to like, you know, that six months being like, to date, like the most inspirational six months of my life where uh, everybody came together, everybody worked together. It was really about putting the best um, six people out there to participate in those three different sleds than it was about, you know, let me make the team. Mm -hmm. And learning that and seeing that and um, feeling that was like unbelievable. So I think I have a good balance of both the, you know, I'm an individual, I got to get this done. And I'm a team um, kind of, you know, knowing when I need a team. And for, from a business standpoint, it's been great because, you know, I am a, I'm a solo entrepreneur. It's just, it's just me. I'm a one woman show right now. Uh, so I've got to be able to figure out how to work uh, on a daily basis, get my work done because nobody's telling me what to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> In the same time, you know that putting two heads together um, is usually better than just having one head. So I've built a team of awesome people around me from, you know, estate planners and accountants to other financial advisors that it's like, hey, I got this thing that's going on and, you know, I've never seen this strategy before. What do you do with these kind of stock options or whatever? And, you know, someone's an expert in that or, you know, what, whatever the case may be. Um, and just different personalities as well as, as knowing and understanding, like, well, how do I talk to this person appropriately mm -hmm. uh, has been something that's been super helpful for me. And it's like, oh, well, when I, you know, when I had a person that had that kind of negative money emotion, this is what I did. Uh, so I've built a team around me. But like I said, being an individual, I, I have some processes in place that drive me to continue to, you know, grind each day for my business. Right. No, yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, I was wondering, uh, we when we first started the conversation, I was talking about examples and stuff like that. Do you do any speaking or mentoring or anything else like that? Yeah. Uh, so everybody's got to have a side hustle. If you don't, you're not in the cool club in 2018. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so my side hustle is, um, yeah, speaking, like you said, Olympic appearances and things like that, because there is, you know, some income to be had uh, once you've earned Olympic medals and multiple Olympic medals, et cetera. So I'm, I'm still trying to improve. I, I'm actually pretty nervous in front of a crowd of like all the little eyeballs on me. Mm -hmm. um, I do much better like in a conversation, kind of a uh, happy hour environment where you just talk for two or three minutes on a stage and you go sit down and talk to people at a table or, um, you know, talking to the kids is always pretty easy. But I've done some corporate speaking and I mean, they say I'm good. You know, they say you're always your worst, your worst critic, but of course. definitely the nerves I feel of speaking <laughs> still impact me greatly. The way that I use it is not actually the actual material metal. It'll be something like, for instance, I just pitched a company. I want to do like financial wellness for the whole company. Um, and they have like employees and then they also have like, you know, consumers that are members. And I'm like, for both of these, this would fit really well. Uh, so I started my email because it's like you're, you're code emailing someone. Mm -hmm. Um by saying, hi, hi there. Happy New Year. My name is Lauren Williams. I'm a four-time Olympian and the first American woman to earn a medal in the Summer and Winter Olympics. And I'm like, whew, okay, got that out the way. <laughs> Look, they'll at least read three or four more sentences, so I better make them good. <laughs> right. 
No, that's 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 interesting because we were talking about the oh, do you throw out the hey, I'm an Olympian? It's like, well, how do you introduce that? I, that's kind of how you introduce it. I mean, you just tell people about it. It's especially around this time of the year. I think this is probably a good time to pitch with the Olympics being there. Um, so yeah, get to, get get busy, get to pitching. Yeah, I will say it is a lot harder to do it in person. Um, I'm not really good at bringing it up. Usually someone kind of finds me out or they ask, you know, they head down the line of questions. So what do you do? And I'll say, I'm a financial planner. And, mm-hmm. you know, they'll, they'll you start digging around in your story. And it's like, I'm not going to tell a lie. So if it comes up, I'll tell you. But I'm not going to just say, hi, I'm Lauren Williams. I'm a four-time Olympian. Like, <laughs> that's weird in person. Well, why, why do you think that is? Why do you think it's hard to talk about? Um, I just, I don't know. I I feel like there's always like a time and a place for everything. And so mm-hmm. you don't walk into uh, somewhere and say like, it's my birthday today. And you know, it's a, a library or something. Right. You know? like, so I just never know when it's appropriate to bring up or not, or um, you know, whether it's relevant and two, you want to have your own identity outside of being an Olympian. Um, I think that's one thing that athletes struggle with quite a bit is who am I outside of this, uh, sports persona that's been created? Mm-hmm. Um, because we are, we're people, we're parents, we're, you know, husbands or wives. Um, you know, we have other interests, we got hobbies, we're bookworms, et cetera. And so it's, it's important too to not get so caught up in that because that, like I said, that becomes the highlight of the conversation when, once you bring it into the conversation, but you know, what if I just wanted to talk about my favorite movie with you and you know, we both have that in common. Right. So sometimes you feel like, you know, that's all I am as Olympian to this person. So, yeah, no, that's, that it is, it is interesting because I think when, especially when you're, you know, if you're talking to kids, um, how do you not just focus on that? if they're not, you know, an athlete. So, you know, you're talking to a group of kids and you got kids that have no interest or possibly even no talent towards being an athlete. And you're talking about achievement and you're, you know, probably they're talking about athletic achievement. How do you, uh, how do you craft a message to make sure those kids are like, oh, okay, well, it's, it's not just about athletics. It's also about this other aspect of being great. Yeah, I think, like I said, that's really easy in the sense that there's so many things about sports and, you know, sports analogies are used all the time in the business world or, um, you know, with kids. So it's easy to kind of transfer that over when you're talking to kids. So, so for example, one of the things I talk about a lot is adapting when I go and do speeches. And, you know, my story of being able to adapt is I was a track and field athlete. I was finishing up my career. Um, I was having trouble managing my weight as a track and field athlete. So, I wasn't done being an athlete in my opinion, you know, but it was like, I was done being a track and field athlete because I couldn't manage my, like, you know, my body was just changing and it wasn't, Mm -hmm. Oh, you're eating too much or you're not exercising enough. It was just like, like, your body goes through different cycles in life. And it's like, I'm a, I'm filling out. I'm a more voluptuous woman at this point. Um, but guess what? You go over to bobsled and they're looking for heavier girls. Um, he said, how can you be uh, as heavy as, as possible as fast as possible um, <laughs> and as powerful as possible as a combination and right. it's like you've got to figure out how to get just the right weight still be fast um and be powerful because you got to basically like power clean a sled out of your way and i'm like oh so you like my new body over here this is wonderful that is interesting but what did i have to do i had to adapt and so being able to talk to people about you know when something, when life comes your direction, something you don't see coming in your direction, uh, you got to be able to pivot mm-hmm. and adapt to the new environment instead of like kind of being railroaded or off-roaded I even better um, by whatever that change is that comes up in your life. Like embrace the change by pivoting and then adapt and flourish in that new environment. Right. Yeah. You talked, you talked briefly, uh, you kind of mentioned it, you, you kind of like gloss past it. You were talking about, um, a, a bad money attitude or a bad money something towards when you're when you're working with people and I think when you start talking about uh, adapting and it has a lot to do with mindset and your your mindset and how you think about the particular situation that you're in and uh, a negative money attitude is what you what you said about um, you know, you've been in a situation where you had a negative money attitude about this thing. So, for instance, you're dealing with uh, a professional athlete and their attitudes about money are just dysfunctional. How do you help them deal with that kind of stuff and changing their mindset? 
Yeah, I mean, it's really a process of being able to kind of dig deeper and find out what got them to that point. You know, because we all have a, a history, an emotional history, a background, you know, traumatic things that have happened to us. And really, you know, our our lives is what shapes us. You know, you don't realize that your money behavior is being shaped while all these other things are taking place in your life. That's that's something that kind of falls to the back burner. Uh, you know, you say, tell me about yourself a little. And you'll say, oh, I grew up in this place and I did this and da, da, da. You won't say, um, my mom lived paycheck to paycheck. Then, you know, the, the one thing I remember about money is like when the landlord showed up every month, you know, telling us we we're going to be put out if we, if we paid one more day later or, you know, those are not the things that someone would talk about when they describe themselves. But um, I try to take the client back and kind of think about like, you know, where does this idea come from? And then I try to tie, you know, their, their past emotions to um, where do you want to go? What are your values? What are the things you want to accomplish? Okay. Well, you know, your mom living paycheck to paycheck and you feeling like you also need to live paycheck to paycheck is, um, you know, it, it's just not real. You know, you, if you had the same amount as your mom, then go, go spend that as your paycheck. You know, that's something I've done with a client. Like, you know, your mom made how much go find out how much your mom made. All right. It was a thousand dollars was her paycheck. All right. Well go try to live paycheck to paycheck with, you know, live paycheck to paycheck with that, even though they make much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like you, you want to be paycheck to paycheck like your mom. Be paycheck to paycheck with that. Don't be paycheck to paycheck with your $30,000 paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it actually worked really well. So it's, it's really about being creative is basically what I'm saying. You know, I don't have any background in counseling. And I'm actually looking for some like sort of certification or something short term I can do mm-hmm. uh, to kind of enhance those skills. But really, it's just like I said, digging deep back into the past and then tying it to, uh, the future and, you know, then saying, well, right here, right now in the present, we've got to do this. Um, if we want to be able to change the future. Right. So something, something that, um, that made me take notice of you, it was actually in the, um, it's actually the elevate money group. Now I forgot the name it changed. Cause I'm, you know, I'm in and out of the group depending on what time of year it is. Right. Uh, after the financial bloggers conference, you you posted a post in there about your experience and some of the things that you were disappointed in in yourself as far as the experience was concerned in being involved, you know, within what seemed like, a, I guess, a tight knit community because it was your first time there and how you loved it. But you were also a little disappointed in, in the things that happened. And I thought it was interesting because after having met you and then found out a little bit about you. I'm like, well, but she's she was she was an athlete competing on the world stage. How could she not be just like, you know, your your idea of it as a person on the outside looking in is, you know, you're the super outgoing person that everybody's going to know who you are. And and all of the stuff that goes with what people think of professional athletes and how they're going to be almost automatically included in in the community. But you felt a little differently about your experience there. How can you talk a little bit about that and how you would help someone with working through the mindset issues that you work through as far as, you know, that experience is concerned and what you actually learned from it? Because I thought the post that you made was valuable and the lesson that you talked about from that was really valuable as well. It's so interesting because literally what I was working on this morning um, prior to uh, talking to you was the uh, upcoming post, like an update post for that exact post. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So in some today, an update post will be going out specifically about that. Um, But really to sum it up, I think it's really where sometimes people say your biggest strength can also be your biggest weakness. Mm -hmm. And he said, most people would look at you and say, an Olympic athlete, you're driven, um, you're disciplined, you're assertive. You've got all these, you know, all these skills that are definitely able to transfer over. And say, like we've talked about it many times, the life skills that you learn from participating in sports. But um, there's also some things that, like you said, can hold you back. And I think the thing that was holding me back in that in, the, in that instance was uh, feeling like all I do is win. So why am I not winning at this yet? And uh, to, to give to provide some background, it was basically just me being frustrated with uh, the processes that I'm putting in place for my business and why it's not growing at the rate that I want it to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, 
not understanding because there is like a financial blogger world. And then there's also, like you said, the the financial planning world. And then, you know, I guess the advisory kind of salesy commission based world. Right. And so in my mind, they're, they're three different areas. And I see, you know, people flourishing in the, the financial blogger world or, um, we call it FinCon, but, and then I'm trying to figure out how to mesh, you know, financial planning because there's so many cool ideas and there's so much technology now and everything is web-based and my company is virtual. So it's like, how do I use the tools that are available to me, um, to be able to grow this thing that I want to grow? And it just seems to, for me, there was a disconnect in having the tools that I needed to be able to do it. I love learning. I am super coachable. But if you don't know where step one is, you know, there's so many different things out there, like Facebook, for example. I, I want to do Facebook ads, but like everybody sells a Facebook ad class. You know, you can decide <laughs> right. that you find an expert and make up a class and you're not necessarily an expert. And then I wasted my money, you know, because I trusted you that, that you were an expert. Um, but it's like, why doesn't Facebook just sell a class that tells me about this? So I know that I'm getting what I need. And at the end of the day, I'll be a graduate of this program and I'll understand how to properly use these things. Um, so there was a lot of tools. I'm using that as an example, but there are a lot of tools that are available out there that um, I hadn't taught myself about and I couldn't find a place to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then there's also, like I said, I'm a sprinter, so I want to do everything fast. And so some of it is just like, Lauren, it takes time, you know, just general experience to be able to get these things. You got to do a little trial and error. And I'm just like, no, I want the formula. I want to know, you know, (laughs) equals C. How does this happen? Um, And so that's where I I found myself kind of like basically chasing my tail is I I wanted the answers and I wanted the answers now when it was like, oh, there's there's no direct answer. You just need to spend your time experiencing this. You just need to find the right thing. But no one knows where the right thing is. And, you know, and it's different for everyone. And that was another thing I had to deal with is like I kept trying to create what someone else was creating. I'm like, ooh, I love Vernon's idea. I'm going to go do that now. And then tomorrow I would see so-and-so's idea and I'm like, gosh, that's really cool. Maybe I can mesh that with Vernon's idea. (laughs) And, you know, I'm going to make both of their ideas better. They don't even know that, like, you put these two things together and it's going to be awesome. And it's like, no, neither of those things is genuine to me. And so just kind of dealing with that aspect as well. It's like, I want to win. Like I said, I'm driven. Like you said, I am disciplined, but I have to find my own recipe for success in this new thing that I'm pursuing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of what the post was about. And that's kind of like my mindset and thinking about it. And I think one of the things was like, you spend so much time going towards something that you don't ever pause to say like, what the heck am I doing? And that moment that I sent that post was me, you know, my first pause and saying like, oh my God, what am I up to right now? Right. And now I kind of reflect and, you know, reposition myself. No, that's, that's, that, that is an awesome answer. Cause you know, you covered a few things you're talking about, you know, fear of missing out on stuff, the shiny object, object syndrome where you, you, you see someone who's an influencer and you're like, oh, my God, that's such a good idea. I need to I need to incorporate that in my business. And then you see something else. and It's like, oh, wow, OK, I can incorporate that, too, because if I do that, then this. And and then once you start trying to implement it, it's like, well, wait a minute, this doesn't really feel like what I really want to be doing. And it, it's very easy to get taken off the path, especially as a solo entrepreneur on what your actual purpose is and like you you're, you know you're headed in a direction and then you don't know where you're ending up because you start running in a direction you hadn't intended because you got sidetracked and didn't even realize it that's what happened uh, <laughs> but i am on track that is good news <laughs> i want to update the world i am on track well that is that is awesome well, so this is timely you can mm-hmm. direct people to the conversation too so it's like hey want to hear more about it here it is <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Well, cool, Laura. So now, are you are you super active on social media yet? What do you? How's your? What do your social media profiles look like? What do you do there? I am medium active on my social media. Uh, that's been another like kind of point of condition for me is like you know, Lauren Williams has all these followers, but her new thing is worth winning, and it's like I want to be able to leverage the followers I have as Lauren Williams a person, mm-hmm. or Lauren Williams the financial company, uh, or worth winning the financial company. And I couldn't find a balance in that. And I realized that, uh, after doing some analysis that I wasn't getting the engagement, even though I have a lot more followers on my personal brand, I wasn't getting the engagement because those people are following me because they're sports fans. So I post a picture of me throwing up the U and, you know, I got a thousand likes and I post the, you know, 
get your money right and I get three likes. <laughs> um, and so I've separated the two now and, you know, I still, there's still some cross promotion, uh, you know, across the, the two platforms, but mm-hmm. um, I'm at worth underscore winning on Twitter and worth winning on um, Instagram. And then Lauren C Williams uh, on both Instagram and Twitter. And then, yeah, I post pretty regularly if I, Say so. I'd say at least twice a week you can see me, and sometimes up to five times a week. Okay, cool. So, with separate them out, do you feel like the uh, the audience on your business profiles are more engaged? Yes, I have seen it. Even though it's a, a lot smaller numbers, and it's a little bit humbling sometimes. Like, why are my followers not going up this week? But it's like, don't get caught up in that, Lauren. But they are a lot more engaged. And so, um, two, just remembering that you. All you need is one, uh, somebody who believes in you. You know, you, if you have a hundred uh, fanatic followers, then it's better than a thousand followers who are not engaged at all. Right. Um, absolutely. So, just teaching myself those those lessons as well has been productive. Well, Laura, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, we just covered our Twitter. I'm going to have all of that in the show notes. We almost forgot to mention you're also a podcaster. I am a new podcaster, and Yay. it's going great so far. Yay! So now, what's the name of your podcast? My podcast is worth listening. So it goes kind of along with the worth winning branding. And oh, I love yeah. it. So, what do you talk about on your podcast? My podcast, I'm interviewing uh, millennials and professional athletes, and they're basically sharing their money memoir. And the whole purpose of the podcast for me is to get people talking about money. We all mm-hmm. know that there's a taboo about talking about your personal finances. Everybody says, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody how much you're making. Don't tell this. Don't tell that. Don't tell. Um, and it leads to not asking anything. And really, we need to be talking about uh, personal finance things with people around us so that, you know, oh, I learned this. Oh, you should do that. Oh, you have a financial person? Well, what do they do for you? I don't even know what a person does. Like, you know, you, you don't want to talk to a financial person because you think they're going to sell you something, but talk to your friend who has one or, you know, it's not really about a financial person. Oh, I need to understand more about my 401k. Well, your friend might've read all the documents and you, you haven't read any of them. What is <laughs> right? the 401k? So yeah, it's just really encouraging conversation around um, personal finance. No, that's cool. Especially, you know, uh, millennials and, and professional athletes, because if you don't talk about it, you have a tendency to necessarily maybe not think about it or talk about it when you're having issues because you're ashamed and then you not talking about it is what leads to those catastrophic mistakes you know you can't live in the dark and then let everything come to light at the worst possible time you want to live in the light so that yeah nothing is coming to light um you know little baby mistakes are made maybe here or there but if you're constantly talking about it then you're going to get the resources around you to be able to make good decisions Well, that is cool. So also, guys, make sure you check out the Worth Listening podcast. It is available on iTunes, and I'm pretty sure anywhere you get your podcast, and I will also link up to that in the show notes. Instagram, Facebook, everything about Lauren, you'll be able to find it in the show notes up on the site when it goes live, because the Olympics starts on Wednesday. So, you know, yeah, we're just days away from right? the opening ceremonies. Right. So how how better to have a live episode by the day the Olympics starts? So with a Olympian, a gold medal winner at that. So, yeah, I'm super hyped about that, <laughs> so, <laughs> if you can tell. But, you know, I, I'm also hyped about the fact that you have your MBA and that you do stuff outside of that, because I think it shows hey, you know, you can be a professional athlete, but hey, there's a whole life outside of this. I think it's a a true testament to, um, like you said, being able to pivot, being able to adapt. And I think it's great for every other other people. Well, I think it's great for our listeners to uh, take that as a lesson. Like you can be or do anything you want and you're not defined by any just one thing that you're doing right now. And that is an awesome note to end it on. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I definitely appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, that was Lauren Williams, multi-medal winning Olympian right here on the podcast. Gotta love it. I'm excited about that. Uh, With the Olympics only being now um, a day away and the opening ceremony is only like a couple days away, I'm super excited about the fact that I had a multi-winning Olympian on my show and that I remember seeing the Olympics where she won in track and field and the Olympics where she won bobsled. I mean, that was just a couple of years ago. It is, uh, it's amazing 
It is it is simply amazing. So lucky to be able to get those type of people on the podcast to, you know, gather some of the value from their experiences. I think it's interesting that Lauren chose uh, certified financial planning as her thing because she needed the financial education herself. And um, in pure athletic Olympian style, she used the thing that was her weakness, learned it, and now it's an asset, and she's actually turned it into a business. And I think it's an example, especially to young women and young men, that, hey, if there is something that you want to do, all you have to do is pursue it, learn about it, and you can turn that thing that was a weakness into an asset. And one of the focuses of the podcast, especially this month in the month of February, is Black History Month. I want to focus on extraordinary uh, African-Americans and people of color in general that show an amazing amount of uh, fortitude, innovation, and achievement so that this next generation, these millennials and the other generation that's behind millennials, whatever it's called, see modern examples of what you can do and what you can achieve if you put your mind to it, if you grind, like for real grind, and just go out there and try. And I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, so often uh, during this month, we hear about um, just the civil rights movement, which it's not a just thing, but I think sometimes kids have a, a hard time connecting to it if they've never seen anything even similar to what's going on. With all of the things that are going on in the world, I think it's um, it's a good idea to be able to show some positive role models like Lauren, who, you know, I'm sure she would be like, oh, I'm no role model, but she is. She's a, a multi-medal winning Olympian, and I'm super proud of her. Um, very honored to have her on the show, and I think she's providing an amazing example uh, to young women, young black women, about what they can do and what they can achieve if they put their minds to it. Um, and if they use their God-given talents to turn their weaknesses into strengths. So, yeah, just super excited about having Lauren on the show. That's the, the purpose of the podcast in February, to highlight as many amazing African-American women and men as possible. So if you know someone that's amazing and you think that they should be on the show, shoot me an email, vernon at vernonross.com. Hey, pitch them. We can get them on the show. Um, the the Goal was to actually publish this yesterday, but because I needed to go through and do some audio editing, it didn't get published, but that's okay. It's going out today and it'll get you know promoted everywhere. And hopefully you guys share this episode, get it out there, let people know about the podcast, especially this month, because I want some kids to be able to listen to this and find out about people that are closer to their age. Lauren is a young woman, and I like the fact that she is doing her thing and still figuring it out. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and move on um, to media partners. Well, media.net is, of course, a partner for the podcast. Uh, they're not a sponsor, and I make sure that I make that designation that they're not a sponsor, but I am using them for uh, ad revenue generation. I've never really run Google ads on the Social Strategy Podcast or anything else like that, but they are basically contextual ads, which it keys off of the text on your site to provide content that's relevant to your site. You'll see them on uh, sites like Forbes and um, other big sites like that, where they're delivering the ad content that pop up for other relevant stories. Uh, Media.net approached me uh, to become an ambassador and promote their brand. So we're testing it out. I want to see if it you know, actually produces some revenue. If it does, I'm going to start doing some revenue reports around what the performance is around media.net. I need to send them more traffic. So that means I got to send more people to the site, which is different because I run the site sort of like the podcast. The podcast is really the main focus. So people subscribe to the podcast on mobile. I don't know if they're visiting the site because the traffic doesn't necessarily come to the site. It comes to podcast players. So it's going to be an interesting thing trying to figure out whether or not an ad network like this can actually deliver value to you first and still build off of the traffic that's coming to the website because the website is podcast focused, although there is going to be some effort to put more blog posts 
and more writing on the site. But we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. But uh, media.net forward slash Vernon uh, to become an ambassador and to try it out. You get, I think, the, you're, you know, three months, you get extra money if you sign up under me. It doesn't cost you anything, uh, and it's really simple to set up on your site. So media.net forward slash Vernon. Check it out. And, of course, the other thing that I usually mention on the podcast is Podbean. Podbean.com forward slash VR. It's a 30-day free trial account on me. That's podbean.com forward slash VR. And that's going to get you a 30-day free trial account to try out podcasting to see if you like it. And of course, I think you should because, hey, podcasting is awesome. And podcasting is cool. It's the thing to do. It's the other thing to do. If you have a side hustle, you need a podcast in 2018. (laughs) My uh, podcasting course is coming up that I'm going to be teaching this weekend. Uh, It is an eight-hour boot camp, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm going through everything podcasting, actually putting some of the finishing touches on my curriculum and what I'm going to be doing. I revamp it a little bit almost every time I teach this class because things change, more things come up, and I want to make sure that I am covering pretty much everything in podcasting that I can cover for the class to make sure that they have the maximum benefit of sitting there, giving up a Saturday, and listening to me for eight hours. And last but not least, I like to talk about my book that's published, Master Your Message, The Guide to Finding Your Voice in Any Situation. Uh, This book was interesting. It was a really interesting project. It was fun. It was hard to write. Um, My first book, and it ended up being published, which is just a crazy thing. I've told that story a few times. I'll have to tell it just in a podcast on how the book happened. Uh, well, we haven't done one of those. And I actually never did a launch party, which I'm, I'm planning. We're going we're gonna, to you know, see what happens. We may do one around June where um, a year after the book is actually out, I'll, th- I'll do a launch party. It's a little backwards. But I, I talked to a good friend of mine who's an author, and a best-selling author and say, you know, sometimes you want to hold off until you've got a solid year and then you can do a launch or like a relaunch of your book. Uh, it's just an interesting concept, but hopefully you guys have the book. If you, if you do not have the book, it is super cheap out on Amazon, uh, out on C8, 1-800-CEO-READS or 800-CEO-READS, um, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you buy books, it is there. Now, if you want to do me a favor, go to your local library and request a copy, just one copy. Get it for free and read the book for free and just leave a review. But you don't have to pay for the book to get the book. Just go to your library and request, hey, I'm looking for this author, Vernon Ross. The book is called Master Your Message. Could you order a copy? That helps book sales and it gets it into the community, which I think is the most important part because I I really want this message to get out there for kids to be able to listen to. Uh, one of the biggest compliments I got as far as this book was concerned uh, was a friend of mine, uh, internet friend, just met them on Anchor. Uh, you want to listen to my Anchor station, it's anchor.fm forward slash Vernon. But she read the book, and actually she, she read it in one day. It's an 86-minute read. I, I did that on purpose. But... One of the things she said is, if I had read this book when I was a kid, I wouldn't have felt so awkward. I wouldn't have felt so alone. And that was one of the biggest compliments that I've gotten to date about this book, is that reading it helped her feel like, as a kid, she wouldn't have been as awkward. And then she shared it with her with her child, um, her teenager, not her like baby child, but her teenager. And uh, I can't wait to hear what her what her teenager had to say about it. It was, uh, it was really cool to get that kind of feedback about the book. So I want to get it into as many communities as possible. So please go to your local library, no matter where you are, and just request a copy. You, I think you can even do that online, so you don't even have to go to the library. But that's how you help me with a book. Either buy a copy or request it from your library or a local bookstore, of course. And please support your local small independent bookstores. Uh, No endorsement there, but I just love small independent bookstores because I think we need them. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here, guys. Of course, you can connect to me everywhere at Ross PR, on Instagram, on Twitter, and of course on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Vern, V-E-R-N, Ross, because I didn't do Ross PR. Well, I did, but I shut that page down. Long story. Anyway, connect to me on social. 
Of course, you can snap me at Ross PR as well. Check out some of my snap goggle stories. I'm using those snap goggles that I got from uh, Chris Strub. And oh, last but not least, Midwest Digital Marketing Conference. It's coming up. It's coming up quick. So make sure you get a ticket. It's the most affordable and the largest digital marketing conference in the Midwest. So definitely check it out. Every major company is going to be there. Lots of opportunities to learn and connect with other industry professionals, particularly around marketing. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here, and I will see you in the next episode.